Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Welcome, everyone. To welcome two, back. Yeah, welcome back to Two Guys, One Book. Is this, I, I'm going to say, it, this is season two. Okay. Because we took so long since our last book that we might as well say, and it was 12 books, which I feel like is a good uh, amount of time. Um, yes. Wait, we read 12 books already? Yes, we have. Okay. Yeah. Can you believe that? So for our I listeners, well, yeah, go ahead. we should say real quick, like our favorite episode, so oh. they shouldn't go back. I don't think you should go back and listen to the original no, ones. No, We're still finding yeah. our, our groove. Our voice. Yeah, our voice. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. So I'll go first. Uh-huh. I, I like that. Laws of Human Nature, I think was... No, no, breath, when breath becomes air. Boom. Because I think, you know, you had some stuff to yes. say, and uh, we had a lot of good quotes from that, so yes. what was your favorite? You like that one? That too? was my favorite, too, yes, of course. But I feel like um, that was a good combination of a good book and a good episode. Um, I liked Rendezvous with Rama, but, you know, it was, admittedly, a science fiction book is not always the best for a podcast. So... I felt like Laws of Human Nature, even though I thought it droned on and on and on, <laughs> and um, don't really agree with some of his assessments of human nature, but it provided us with good discussion. We had a good talk about we it. We did. We did. I wish I liked Rendezvous with Rama more. I think we should try another sci-fi book, Okay. because I haven't read that much sci-fi in my life. Yeah. I mean, I guess the sci-fi I've read is more uh, centered towards dystopian alternate futures or realities kind of stuff not so much the outer space sci-fi you know what mm-hmm. i mean i mean i read ender's game but i and i've been meaning to read dune but that is a long book too so i don't know if i'll make you suffer through that yeah <laughs> sounds good um <laughs> but yeah so we're gonna kick off season two because why not i mean what is a podcast season anyway like i think it's totally arbitrary unless you're actually covering a very specific topic. I thought you were getting deep for a second. No, what is what it? is a podcast? I mean, what are we doing here? No, yeah. seriously, Tim, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, what is this? It's arbitrary. Yeah, it is. So, first episode, season two, or we'll just say our thirteenth book. We'll just keep ratcheting it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, is one hundred years of solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and it is a Brian pick. Why did you pick it, Brian? Why did I pick Please this book? You know, that's a why. good question. Um, <laughs> you, you're, I know you're, you're itching to know, um, if I am honest with myself, I picked this book because of the opening line of the book. Now that sounds kind of stupid, yeah. but that's one thing I, one of my little things I like about books is that it's like that phrase, you only have one chance to make a first impression. I feel like that's what books do. And I feel like the first page can set, you know, where does the author choose to start the story? How do they try, start to choose choose to start the story and all of this other stuff? I mean, like, and admittedly, my favorite author is Joseph Heller. And that is something that he crafted about each book was a very specific opening line. And I think that's one reason why I liked him so much, too. Um so what's the opening line of this one? I will read it here in a second, but I will also say that so this is a book. It's a it's a legend of Spanish literature, and of course we did not read it in Spanish. We read it in English, or you listened to it in English, I should say. Or did you listen to the Spanish version? Did that did you get just as much <laughs> out of the book by listening to this? Yeah, no. I didn't know. 
Anyway, so I knew about this book because I knew it was a famous Spanish language book. And then I saw it at a book sale and I cracked it open and I read the first line like I do with most books that I crack open. And I loved it. So here is the first line of the book. Many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Aureliano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. Yeah. That's a great line. It is. It, it, it captures... It, it, to me, that just captures my uh, imagination and my curiosity because, like, this colonel, why was he facing the firing squad? And, like, how did he and his father discover ice? And, like, the way it's written with, like, these multiple layers of... Um, playing with time like he's he's saying many years later Colonel Aureliano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon later so like he just it's multiple things where like he's looking he's many years later into the future the colonel is remembering something that happened in the past Mm -hmm. you know and I do think that's a creative way and that happens I think that sets the tone for the book because so many things in this there's so much foreshadowing and recalling on past events throughout this whole book in that in um in that very intricate manner that it just to me helps you know i don't know give the book so much more energy or or life to it somehow so short answer of why i picked this book because of the first line so i'm taking away from that that you like this book a lot that's one line in okay. a very long book. This will be an interesting kind of... Uh, <laughs> we'll go into it more then. I will say he, he has some very well-written passages. Yes. Um, very beautiful language. Right. Like that first line. And I feel like it even comes through in the translation. Like, I, you know, I found myself maybe... I don't have as many quotes overall from this book as maybe I do from other books that we've reviewed on the podcast... And part of that is my just, well, some of the things I highlighted as quotes aren't really beautiful. They're just more like crazy happenings that happen throughout the story. Mm-hmm. But um, I part of me also then just is like, well, you know, this is a great quote, but like maybe it's not the same. To me, like I know it's still the what the author wrote, but just in English. But I felt like that knowing it's a translation, I don't know. Did it weaken it a little bit for me, maybe? It's possible. Is that is that silly? I think that's kind of silly. Well, here's what I'll say about the quotes, is that I think out of context, it's hard to grab as many as we might have for other books. Mm. I think a lot of the passages are well-written, but not necessarily things you would take out and say, this stands alone as a right. great quote. That is a good point. I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah don't sit there so smoke and say, yeah, Thanks, yeah, 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 good point, Tim. All right, Tim gets a gold star for that one. One point, um, But you are correct that you get to know the characters so intricately and, you know, he goes into so many, there's so many unique and crazy things that happen in the book that when he does have a beautiful passage, you're right, it's within the story, so is that one that you're going to, like, put on a post-it note and put on your on your dream board or whatever probably not but they're still beautiful in their own way now that i said a nice thing about the book i want to (laughs) complain a little bit yeah (laughs) so brian forced me to read this and (laughs) i think um a hundred years of solitude is a fitting title because that's how long it takes to read pretty much (laughs) come on (laughs) 
No, it it was. A, I mean, it's like four hundred pages, yeah. and there's like a million characters, and it's spread across um, seven like seven generations, right. focused on this one family, the Buendias, Buendias in this yeah. town of Macondo, and it's just it's tough to follow. The chapters sort of transition into uh, really quickly and dive into another person's life, and it's just like a little disorienting hmm. to like you know get a sense of where you're at. Yes, it 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 takes a while. I agree to uh, not only differentiate between the characters, but also to um, I don't know. I had I had character fatigue mm-hmm. about two thirds of the way through because uh, it starts with Jose Arcadio Buendia and his wife Ursula, and then their children uh, Jose Arcadio, uh, Colonel Aureliano Buendia, and Amaranta, and. Of those three children, of those three children, that we mainly it comes from the lineage of Jose Arcadio has a son, and he has children, and then they go from there. And I really liked those main three ch- children. I especially liked the Colonel, and then Jose Arcadio. I felt like was a was a very vivid and and um, memorable character, but I felt like the further you went down, I guess. I, that's why I say I have character fatigue because I just felt like maybe the the antics of Jose Arcadio, the first the son, was were charming, but then when you get to his children and the, his children's children, the antics seem uh, you know childish and immature and but maybe I think that might be part of the point of the book is that we human beings are destined to repeat our same mistakes and. It does from from a purely objective perspective. Like if aliens were to come and watch human nature, they would think that we're all crazy because we never seem to learn from our mistakes. So that I think is a good point of the book. That I think it can you, but I think you have to kind of search for those kind of messages. They're not overly evident, but I think that's fine. That's what literature is too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, if you think about why he structured the book like this, maybe because to show like history is cyclical, like mm-hmm. you were saying. Yeah. Um, and just so many characters, maybe the point isn't to try and memorize each of them. Like even they've got a lot of the same names as right. their ancestors. Right. But it's just saying like here are the similarities passed down through generations and similar patterns. But it makes me wonder like how similar we are to like our great great grandparents mm-hmm. that we don't even know. You know, like right. never knew. That's a good point too, because yeah, you know. How we don't we never met our some of our family members, but yet we inevitably share some characteristics and traits to them as well. Right. And like, how did little things in their life or like events and experiences shape like mm-hmm. our lives today or our world, that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. It reminded me of. Um, did you see Cloud Atlas or read Cloud Atlas? I saw the movie. Did you? I, I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was kind of underrated. I wish I knew what I was getting into when I went to see the movie. It's a lot to take in. It is. Yeah. Um, I think I would have more of an appreciation for it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. So there are like six or something storylines and taking place across different generations. And just kind of similar to this book, it's like, you know, it doesn't, this book doesn't really jump around. Like it's going from the past to the present. Mm-hmm. But, um, just the general idea of like things in the past shaping our right, and, and I think life. I, and that and that's how Marquez writes it is like the yes time keeps marching forward, but then he tells these he foreshadows and recalls on past events so well and so thoroughly that it does kind of feel like 
it's interwoven. The past and future are interwoven with the, the present. Because like that opening line says, Colonel Aureliano Buendia is facing the firing squad, but we come out to learn later that he survives it because of other uh, in circumstances that are, arise from that situation. So we're led to believe in the first line that this guy dies by firing squad, but when he really doesn't, which I think is cool. What do you think about um, the magic realism of the book? <laughs> you did some research after you finished the book. <laughs> well, okay, so like... There's a lot of history in this yes. book, but then all all of a sudden, out of nowhere, some weird, like, mystical stuff starts happening, and it's just kind of thrown in there. So I feel like it's, like, embellishing the stories when, like, people are talking about the past. It's just kind of adding a little more flair to it. Mm-hmm. But, like, what was your... I took it, like... I think I I had the that when... So Jose Arcadio Buendia is the, the patriarch, and Ursula is his wife. And they have a family at the start of the book, but then pretty soon after that, he recalls the stories of how they met and other things like that, that I think is when the magical realism really was starting to to become apparent. And I remember during that whole story of how they met and everything, because they were like cousins or something like And so they were afraid like if they had offspring, they would come out with a pig of a tail or they would have offspring with the tail of a pig. A pig of a tail. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but so like, so that the 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 way I took it um, before I learned about magical realism mm-hmm. after finishing the book, I took it as sort of like a myth mythology, like you know the Romans and the Greeks have all these crazy stories with incest and all these fantastical things about the gods, and I kind of felt like this was like a Spanish version of maybe, you know, with some myth in, in there as mm-hmm. well. Um, but, yeah. It made me think, too, of, um, this is the only other thing I'll reference, is uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Did you see that movie? Yes. That's a great movie. That is a great movie, but that is, a, oof, I find that very emotionally draining. Yeah. I, it, it, I watched that at a particularly vulnerable time in my life, so I feel like that was another instance of that um, it just hit home. I mean, like, Pan's Labyrinth to me is like, if you want to see Brian cry, <laughs> sit, make me watch Pan's Labyrinth I want to see cry. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but, like, the general idea where it's, like, it's set against the Spanish Civil War, right? True. And then it has, like, this cool, like, uh, Fawn yeah. character, yeah. what do you call it? Um, and just, like, all this supernatural, like, magic stuff, and this girl is kind of living in this imaginary mm-hmm. world, but then these real, really dark historical events are happening around right. her at the same time. And I feel like in this book, it talks a lot about, like, colonialism and, like, mm-hmm. um, violence and all of these things, and then sort of these, like, magic things here and there <laughs> thrown in. <laughs> Give yourself another point, Tim. Oh, uh-huh, man. goodness, you racking killed up it. Today. Yeah. That is such a good That's parallel between... <laughs> This book and that movie because yeah, spot on. My God, I'm all out of points. So, but yeah, so like when at first did did those magical mystical elements? I was I was kind of along for the ride, I guess. Um, Did it? What about you? Did you like the magical realism? I'm just gonna say in general, it's hard for me to recall a lot of the book because it's just. It did flow so quickly from character to character and scene to scene. So, like, not a ton of stuff stood out. Mm. It, it does seem a little jarring at times when you're just... It's like, oh, it's a normal family. And then all of a sudden, this person, like, 
got wings and flew away or something. Yeah. Something, you yeah. know, like, so those <laughs> things true. kind of feel like they come okay. out of nowhere. Or like it rains for like four years, 11 months and seven right. days or it's however like a biblical, long. like, yeah. you know, sort of mm-hmm. yeah. tone to it. But like, I thought, you know, I did a little research too. Ooh. And, you know, that whole part of the local government or the army uh, cornering people and, and killing 3,000 people, something similar did happen in, I think, Marquez's hometown or somewhere nearby right. or something. So, you know, I feel like literature can be that tool to shine light on certain things and then maybe the magical realism of it makes it palatable so that we can digest it easier and maybe even government agencies don't, um, I don't know what censor- censorship like is or, or anything in Latin America, but like maybe you know, the magical element gives the author some sort of cop out to say like, oh no, it's not based on real events. Look at all the crazy shit that happens. You know, That's a good point actually. I think a lot of fantasy has you know, pretty important messages woven in. Yeah. Like you could, you could write a nonfiction book saying how like fascism or something is bad, or you could like create something like I don't know, Lord of the Rings or, or Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went more to the magic side. Yeah, but, uh, that makes you know, yeah. just off the top. No, of my head. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that's a good point. Um, the yeah. banana massacre was crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's like early nineteenth century, and this was a real thing. Is that uh, with colonialism, it wasn't so much like one country going to another at that time. It was more like capitalism where a big corporation would come and like it wanted to get all these bananas. So that's like mm-hmm. the banana republic expression ah, came from that. Yeah. And um, and yeah, so like a bunch of like workers got slaughtered for not, um, you know, obeying their orders or something. And, you know, it. I would have never known that that happened if it wasn't for this book. And I don't think that's a necessarily a, 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 a statement about me and my uh, knowledge of the historical events in Latin America, but it's more, I think, a statement on the power of literature and getting stories out there in the world to, to keep them alive. And so hopefully that we don't relive the past and don't, make our same human mistakes over again like uh, the Buendia family does so much in this book. Mm. Do, I get a, do I get a point for that? That's a, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're just fishing for points. <laughs> that was good, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think... I wonder how much of this came from his own life experiences mm-hmm. and being from uh, Colombia. Yeah. yeah. I, I would be very interested in that as well. Um, or like maybe some other more magical things that happen in this book maybe yeah just based on the general like you said the colonization like not just the specific example like the banana massacre but also maybe like some of the magical things about the rain lasting for four years like i said maybe that is a is you know a euphemism for not euphemism an alle- no allegory no simile metaphor metaphor <laughs> One of those. One of those things. Maybe it's something that represents something else, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, how, if you could decide, how do you think this book could be improved? Wow. You see, that's just it. I don't. 
You ask that a lot. <laughs> what are you trying to say? I'm saying that we have different, I think, reactions to books when we're I, done. I have a critical mindset, I think, a little bit. Like, how could it be different? Okay. And I think I am more the a mindset that, oh, that was interesting. That's I feel like I, sh- I don't want to suppose that, like, or assume that, like, what I think would make the book better. I don't know. I just think I'd take it more at face value of like, this is what the author wanted to put out. Yeah. So I, but no, I think, I think that's a good thing though. I wish I could, I, that leaves me lacking. When you ask me these questions about what does this book need to make it better? It just kind of throws me off kilter. And so I'm not really, I don't really know because I doesn't really, it's not something I constantly think about. So I understand. Do you have an answer? No, I'd say, you know, you probably have a healthier mindset about it. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's healthier. No, it's, it's just, presumptuous of me to say like, oh, no, like I mean, <laughs> we know better than Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Like we could, mm-hmm. you know. I'm just saying, like, in your the way I should I mean to phrase the question is, in your opinion, how do you think you would like the book more if it were slightly different in one way or the other? <laughs> That's, yeah. Does that make it a little less? Uh, no, I think you're sound asking offensive sounding. Using more words to ask the same thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> But no, I mean, like, all right, so if I had to, you see, like, I, I just... I'll, I can go first. Yeah, you want to? Go ahead. Okay. How, how would the book be better, Tim? <sighs> okay. Just, if it were a little easier to follow... <laughs> just change the names, make them Fred and Nancy, <laughs> oh, and, and change no, them. No, it's not the Spanish names. Yeah. It's just, but like I, like we talked about, that's probably the point, is that it's not so much the focus on the characters themselves. It's the right. bigger picture right. history. Um, so, yeah, it's his author's literary choice, whatever. Um I don't know. I mean, like, the plot itself, it was hard for me to get that engaged with, like... That's yeah. just it. We haven't even said what the plot is, have we? Well, good luck summarizing it. <laughs> go, go for it, yeah. Oh, boy. I'm just going to lean back. For so, a Jose Arcadio Buendia and Ursula have three children, like I said. Jose Arcadio, Colonel Arleano Buendia, and Amaranta. Amaranta becomes a spinster, never married, kind of, I think... They say she's a virgin as well. Jose Arcadio and Colonel Arleano Buendia in their youth shack up separately with the same woman. So they have sons with the same woman at different times, of course. Jose Arcadio goes to join the gypsies, but then he comes back years later. And I think that's when he becomes interesting. Colonel Arleano Buendia becomes a colonel and he starts a war against the government, like a civil war. And and he leads the liberal party and... They say he's fought 32 battles that he's never won, tried to been survived like 14 assassination attempts and all this stuff. And Jose Arcadio's kid is... Ah, shit, I forget. He has a kid who's a pretty much a dunce. Arcadio. And then we follow Arcadio, and then he marries somebody. He has a couple kids. Arcadio gets shot. He Arcadio is the one that gets killed by the firing squad. His kids are like... Remedios the Beauty and Arca- Jose Arcadio Segundo and Arleano Segundo because they are twins and so that makes things all the clearer. Just name them the Segundo. Um, and then Arleano Segundo has three kids Renato Remedios, Jose Arcadio, and Amaranta Ursula. And the, the last Jose Arcadio goes to Rome to try to be a priest, but then that falls through. Renato Remedios, called Mimi, has Ariellano, and that last Ariellano is the one that, like, deciphers the cryptic messages from Melchiades. Melchiades, by the way, is some, is one of, like, the head gypsy back in 
the original days of Jose Arcadio Buendia. So Arellano deciphers the messages on these parchments from Melchiades, and at that time, a big hurricane comes through and destroys Mokondo, and the end. <laughs> I think that worked pretty well. I I think that was as brief as I could I be. I applaud you. Thank you. And to note, I cheated uh, a little bit. Brian was looking at a family tree hey, for hey, most hey, of that. Now, I, I only cheated a little bit. I would encourage our two listeners to <laughs> to Google "100 Years of Solitude" family tree. Yeah, and that will probably deter you from reading this. Yeah, uh, especially when lot. you see that the tree isn't much of a tree. It's more like a stick with a couple branches, if you know what I mean. <laughs> There's some weird Incest. stuff. <laughs> okay, Brian. Um, okay, let's talk about the beginning with yeah. the gypsies. So mm-hmm. he he says, uh, and this is probably like you know, maybe politically incorrect to call them this now, but, like, this is what he refers to them in the book. So he says the gypsies, right? Uh, oh, gypsy's a bad word? And, I mean, probably more so in, like, Europe or Latin America. Mm-hmm. We don't say that here, but, um, but yeah, it has, like, yeah. a negative connotation. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean... You saw, like, Roma, right? That's kind of about... Oh, that's true, I guess. Yeah. yeah. When I think of gypsies, I think a Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, and that's two gy- different, like... You know, in our mind, like yeah. we have a different perception of yeah. what that is. Yeah, we do. But it so it started out with these gypsies would come to that town, Macondo, and bring in like, like ice or something, mm-hmm. and so they see this as like this magnificent invention. Yeah, it's like they've never seen ice before, right. and they're just like, "What the hell is this?" And then, then so, they they also yeah. bring in flying carpets too, just so we know. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's kind of a so mix. they bring in some real stuff. They bring in some magical stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they're legit gypsies. But I think it started out strong. Like, I liked the character mm-hmm. who was kind of an inventor and just seeing the world through, like, his eyes and uh, when the gypsies would bring new things into town. So I thought it started out, it really grabbed my attention, but then I just kind of drifted away as it went on. It was just, it was a lot to keep track of. I completely agree. I feel like at the start, you know, you have the characters they are more, to me, they're just more interesting because I don't know, like, the later ones... I mean, maybe, like I said, maybe that's the point, is that as the, the generations continue, the... the People suck more. As the, the people on. suck more, yes. <laughs> the, well, I'm trying to think of a very specific word. The, uh, not the uh, actions, the nefarious, no, when you're up to no good. Ramifications? Oh, no. I got nothing. I'll try to think of another word. So... But as the generations continue, perpetuate the mischievous actions of people, when you see them repeated generation after generation, become tiresome. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why the book loses some steam. Mm -hmm. But I think that's kind of the point, too, is that everything's cyclical and people blend into each other but is if you were an author is that what you would decide it's like i'm gonna make this book drag on because i'm trying to make a point about (laughs) well maybe maybe (laughs) but like but then i think that's when his style of writing with the blending the past and the future with the present with his language and everything is is key to maybe keeping the the reader engaged Mm -hmm. did that work for us probably not but it's still a valiant effort. I'd say, like, I love Pan's Labyrinth. I love Cloud Atlas. Uh-huh. So if you take the generational, like, concept of time, like, you know, zoomed out, and then, you know, have that magical realism to it, mm-hmm. I just think those aspects are really interesting together. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, imagine adapting this one into a movie. Like, how could you... It's like seven generations of people. Like, that would just be insane. It'd have to be a series, probably. You think so? You think you could put this into a movie? No. Yeah. 
Yeah. Unless you could you could do something like have the same actor play all the Jose Arcadios and have uh, the same actor play all the Arellanos. That'd be cool. And just dress them up differently. Kind of like Cloud Atlas, right? Yeah. Cloud Atlas do that with like Tom Hanks. Like Halle Berry and Tom Hanks yeah. and some other people came back as the same characters. Well, they were different. Well, the same like, actor. Yeah. The same actor played different yeah. characters. That maybe is like a signal of reincarnation or... That's or, a good point. Yeah. That's a, that'd be a cool artistic, be, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. vision of that. Yeah. So... Were you ready to do quotes? I'm down for quotes, yeah. Yeah. What did you I never really said what I think would make the book better, but what was your favorite part you of the book? You, you said the gypsies at the beginning we, was We your usually do part. favorites and least favorite, right? Don't what? we? Or just yeah, do we say like our favorite part? I, I think my the beginning is my beginning. favorite. Did you have a... First line. <laughs> I mean that's my I mean the first word. <laughs> first name. <Many. letter. laughs> <laughs> no, um yeah. Beginning I like do you did you have a favorite character, Tim? Uh, the guy in the beginning. The, you mean the patriarch? Yeah, Jose yeah. Arcade of Wendia, the one that was tinkering with stuff that the gypsies brought to town? Mm-hmm. Okay, I liked the colonel the best. The colonel. Yeah. Because I felt like he had the most principles, I guess, but then he was kind of shitty too, so... Um, like, nobody's good in this book, but... Yeah. But I, I think Jose Arcade of is good. Ursula is a good character, but my favorite is the colonel. Yeah. yeah. He had more depth than the average yeah. character, I think. Right, right. You probably got a couple quotes from him. Did you have a least favorite character? I mean, there are a couple who just like... You don't even remember them. Yeah, that's probably no, most of it. <laughs> I, completely, I completely understand. You don't have a least favorite character because you can't even pick them. But I, I mean, mine is that Arcadia bastard because... I mean, the colonel left him in charge of the town. He had one job to do, just maintain peace in Mankado. Yeah. And he failed, and so he got killed by a firing squad, and he deserved it. Strong words. Yeah. I don't have very many quotes, so you can start. Well, I had that first line, but you already read it, so I'll say, um, and some of these, like, are out of context, I can't remember, but just a well-written passage, like he Mm -hmm. says, um, he says, wherever they might be, they always remembered that the past was a lie, that memory has no return, that every spring gone by could never be recovered, and that the wildest and most tenacious love was an ephemeral truth in the end. Well, that was pretty. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of like love affairs in this, and then mm-hmm. he'll throw in some deep like romantic language. Yeah, and just the time theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that. Sorry. I think my passages are a little longer, because I feel like you gotta get the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. I guess this is a little. One. You want to read it? Yeah, I'll, I'll read it. Okay. So this is Aureliano Jose. Mm-hmm. Who's Aureliano Jose? Who can say? That is Colonel Aureliano Buendia's son. Mm-hmm. So this is his untimely death. Be careful, Captain, Aureliano Jose warned him. The man hasn't been born yet who can lay hands on me. The captain tried to search him forcibly, and Aureliano Jose, who was unarmed, began to run. The soldiers disobeyed the order to shoot. He's a, bu- he's a buendia, one, ex- one of them explained. Blind with rage, the captain then snatched away the rifle, stepped into the center of the street, and took aim. Cowards, he shouted. I only wish it was Colonel Aureliano Buendia. Carmelita Montiel, a 20-year-old virgin, had just bathed in orange blossom water and was st- strewing rosemary leaves on Pilar Ternera's bed when the shot rang out. Aureliano Jose had been destined to find with her 
the happiness that Amaranta had denied him, to have seven, seven children and to die in her arms of old age. But the bullet that entered his back and shattered his chest had been directed by a wrong interpretation of the cards. Captain Aquiles Ricardo, who was really the one destined to die that night, did indeed die, four hours before Aureliano Jose. As soon as the shot was heard, he was brought down by two simultaneous bullets whose origin was never established, and a shout of many voices shook the night. Long live the Liberal Party. Long live Colonel Aureliano Buendia. At 12 o'clock, when Aureliano Jose had bled to death and Carmelita Montiel found that the cards showing her future were blank, more than 400 men had, had filled past, filed past the theater and discharged their revolvers into the abandoned body of Captain Aquiles Ricardo. A patrol had to use a wheelbarrow to carry the body, which was heavy with lead and fell apart like a water-soaked loaf of bread. Ooh. Yeah, there's so much in that. Like, in that, I know it was a little long passage, but like, Aureliano Jose is this cocky Buendia. The captain doesn't care. He shoots him anyway. But Aureliano Jose was destined to fall in love with this one girl who, looking at the... They do a lot of tarot cards in the book, and her cards say her future is blank now. And then this guy that shot the Buendia is then killed, and, and his body... That image of so... Falling apart yeah. like loaves of the the imagery bread. is really good in yeah. the book. Yeah, yeah. So I just I really like I think that, that captures the um, love and violence theme. Yeah. Also, that's you see a lot in this. Mm-hmm. I think the stereotype of a lot of like Latin American countries is that people are very like passionate and emotional, mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of like bloody uh, civil war type yeah. and revolution things. Yeah. Like I don't think you could see this book in like other cultures or countries as much. Mm-hmm. You know. Like a Canadian, hundred years of solitude, <laughs> right? This is them ice fishing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I like this one. Okay, since you read a chapter, I don't feel bad about <laughs> reading a long passage. <laughs> all right, all right, go ahead. Okay, so uh, he says <clears throat> the only real clues that. Arleano Segundo had when he left to, to look for her to look for her he's talking about Fernanda uh, where her unmistakable Highland accent and her trade as a weaver of funeral wreaths he searched for her without cease with the fierce temerity with which Jose Arcadio Buendia had crossed the mountains to found Macondo with the blind pride with which Colonel Arleano Buendia had undertaken his fruitless wars with the mad tenacity with which Ursula watched over the survival of the line Arleano Segundo looked for Fernanda without a single moment of respite. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I like that one because it, it, it calls on the actions of all the other characters right. to, uh, to measure this guy's tenacity mm-hmm. and his, his, uh, yeah, his lack of rest until he finds what he's searching for. Yeah, yeah. It, it ties back to like the whole uh, lineage and mm-hmm. generations. Right. like. To the present time. Right. Yeah. So I have this quote, Macondo got a movie theater. Oh my God. Oh, you no, no, no. All right. You I do it. No, no, no. You do it. You do it. Because I only have two left. All right. All right. So you do it then. Do you have more quotes? You have a lot I have more quotes. Okay. Yes. That's a good quote, isn't it? I know. It's so good. Go for it, man. I was like, I know he's going to do this. <laughs> I saw like where you opened the book. Do you want to do another one and then I'll do it? Or you want me to do it? No, one? I can. Yeah, hold on. Let me find. All right. So, scratch that. That quote sucks. I'm not going to read that one. Um, 
So, Jose Arcadio, like, the third one, mm-hmm. the one that goes off to Rome to try to be a priest or then eventually pope, I, it, it's tough to start some of these quotes because, like, he's he's talking about one character and one event, and then he, he just goes right into another character. And then when he's talking about that character, he recalls another character and then continues on with... Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, Jose Arcadio... He was in Rome exchanging letters with his mom, Fernanda. Fernanda, who in your p- previous passage is his mm-hmm. Jose Cardio's mother. He's in Rome trying to be priest or, or pope, or so they thought. It never occurred either to him or to Fernanda to think that their correspondence was an exchange of fantasies. Jose Arcadio, who left the seminary as soon as he reached Rome, continued nourishing the legend of theology and canon law so as not to jeopardize the fabulous inheritance of which his mother's delirious letters spoke and which would rescue him from the misery and sordidness he shared with two friends in a Trastevere garret. When he received Fernando's last letter, dictated by the foreboding and imminent death, he put the leftovers of his false splendor into a suitcase and crossed the ocean in the hold of a ship where emigrants were crammed together like cattle in a slaughterhouse, eating cold macaroni and wormy cheese. So I just like that passage because, like, I mean, that's the first time we hear that, like, Jose Arcadio was just lying in Rome. Like, he was just chilling out there and then he comes back. And then, so he, he comes back expecting to have this great fortune await him mm-hmm. um, and then it turns out that Fernanda has nothing but he, he Ursula the matriarch of the whole family had these bags of gold coins that some stranger left and she hid them in the house and people had tried to find them for years to no avail but this Jose Arcadio finds them he invites some local boys over have a big party they're celebrating, they're living it up, but then he kicks them out of the house. And then this is what happens. One September morning, after having coffee in the kitchen with Aureliano, Jose Arcadio was finishing his daily bath when through the openings in the tiles, the four children he had expelled from the house burst in. Without giving him time to defend himself, they jumped into the pool fully clothed, grabbed him by the hair, and held his head under the water until the bubbling of his death throes ceased on the surface and his silent and pale dolphin body slipped down to the bottom of the fragrant water. Then they took out the three sacks of gold from the hiding place which was known only to them and their victim. It was such a rapid, methodical, and brutal action that it was like a military operation. Aureliano, shut up in his room, was not aware of anything. That afternoon, having missed him in the kitchen, he looked for Jose Arcadio all over the house and found him floating on the perfumed mirror of the pool, enormous and bloated, and still thinking about Amaranta. That's good. Yeah. So I, I kind of liked that, um, yeah. Well, his sentences will go like, mm-hmm. they'll be like an entire page. It's just mm-hmm. like, you wonder how he can weave together so many, oh, so yeah. much descriptive language yeah. into one sentence. Yeah, it really is creative. Yeah. And I guess I'm just realizing this, but like the quotes I've read have been kind of downers. They like, people die. <laughs> I'll do the movie one. That's yeah, fun. do the movie. That's <laughs> okay. a good one. That's a good one. But the one meta point about this, and I think we might have mentioned this before in other episodes, is like I think we do appreciate the book more as we're looking back and reflecting yes. on it and talking about. And it. I think that's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, if no one listens to this podcast, it has given me a, 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 a an appreciation for the books that I read because we when we talk about them, mm-hmm. 
yeah, you, I mean, like, we'll, we'll discuss this when we write the book, but, like, you know, a book may be kind of underwhelming, but still, you look, when you d- sit down to talk about it, you find, you, you come up with things so good about it, too. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like, most books you read, you, like, you eat them, but you don't digest them. Ooh. <laughs> that's some Gabriel Garcia level language right there <laughs> okay so the movie theater uh, so they brought a cinema to Macondo right mm-hmm. and was there anything else you wanted to set the stage for that well this was the time of great change in Macondo I think this is when the banana company came in or something and so they were uh, modernizing the comp- the whole town. They had electricity mm-hmm. for the first time and all this stuff. So it was... Um, I think this is the point where it started to lose me, where I started not to care as much as the characters because, I don't know, just things seemed to be getting repetitive. But but, but this was a fun passage. It so, was. Well, fun or well-written, I guess. Yeah. Um, so he says, uh, after they saw this movie, and it's the crowd reacting, and uh, this, passage, this passage goes... The mayor, at the urging of Bruno Crespi, explained in a proclamation that the cinema was a machine of illusions that did not merit the emotional outburst of the audience. With that discouraging explanation, many felt that they had been the victims of some new and showy gypsy business, and they decided not to return to the movies, considering that they already had too many troubles of their own to weep over the acted-out misfortunes of imaginary beings. Yeah. So... That's a great. That, that is such a great line, and <laughs> and I think, yeah, you can. It's it's so fitting for the town of Macondo. Mm-hmm. They have so much bad stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Like they don't need to go into the movie theater and be emotionally invested in these random characters that because they know it's fake. So isn't that? I mean, like if you think about that, projected onto real life, like people and like living comfortable lives in first world countries or something, right? Like. Uh, like we can watch we can read tough fiction or watch like sad mm. movies but like in certain parts of the world you wonder like i mean i probably just avoid that stuff right yeah. that's why i like transformers and fast and the furious are like the some of the best international movies that's a good point i think it's there's multiple factors to that well, though, too course. like yeah. language issue yeah. right um mm-hmm. probably like education system and, i mean and the rock isn't Fast and Furious now? I mean, what more do you need? Hey, don't bash The Rock. I'm not bashing The Rock. I'm saying I don't watch the Fast and Furious movies, but if I did, uh-huh. it would be because of The Rock. <laughs> Love The Rock. But, right. but we watch sad uh, movies. You want to do another quote? Because my other quote is the end of the book. Okay, I think I have one more. During that interminable night, while Colonel... Arnoldo Marquez thought about his dead afternoons in Amaranto's sewing room. Colonel Aureliano Buendia scratched for many hours trying to break the hard shell of his solitude. His only happy moments since that remote afternoon when his father had taken him to sea ice had taken place in a silver workshop where he passed the time putting little goldfishes together. He had had to start 32 wars and had had to violate all of his packs with death and wallow like a hog in the dung heap of glory in order to discover the privileges of simplicity almost 40 years late. Yeah, that's a good one. That's not the one you're going to do. No, right? no, no. Okay, but like, good. that's one on my list that I, yeah, that I... Or just, you think about someone who's like spent a life of violence mm-hmm. and then they're just sitting there like right. kind of reflecting on it and right. being like, you know, why couldn't we just have a simple life mm-hmm. and... The 
to wallow like a hog in the dung heap of glory yeah. in order to discover the privileges of simplicity almost 40 years late, I think is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That might be a good one to like, you can, you know, take out and yeah. Put on its own. It stands on its own. Yeah. Right. But yeah. So you got a final. Well, of course, this is how the book ends. If I like the first line so much, I better like the last couple lines. But I think I think this is kind of interesting because, like, all along, Mel- Melchiades is the main gypsy, and he comes to live. He comes to live with the Buendia family. I think after he can no longer stand the lonesomeness of death, or something like that, mm-hmm. the solitude of death. That's another thing. Is like the word solitude. It's like twenty times in this book. Oh, yeah. I think more than that. And then he, and he uses the phrase of like many years later or many months later, all that stuff. He, he's always talking about time and looping everything together, but then solitude is another word that pops up a lot. But anyway, Melchiades writes out these parchments and manuscripts, and they eventually determine they are in Sanskrit, mm-hmm. and then Ariano uh, decodes them. Why do you think he, match- he mentioned solitude so much? I mean, I know it's the name of the book, but it's like the book's all about relationships and stuff. So like, well, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe like, um, that's a good question. Maybe we are social beings, but we are ultimately alone. I don't know. I guess I kind of see it as like we're so in the grand scheme of things, we're all interconnected to our past and stuff, right? Right. So everyone kind of feels a sense of solitude in their own individual lives. But when you zoom out and see the big picture, like, you know, it's all tied together across all the generations. Mm. So maybe he's saying, like, everyone feels this solitude, mm-hmm. but really, like, we're all tied together. Mm. I, like that. Away. I like Literary that. critic right here. <laughs> all right. Sorry. Go ahead. Anyway, the the last Aureliano. Oh, one other thing I did like about this book, real quick. Uh-huh. I like that. The Colonel Aureliano Buendillo traveled around the country fighting wars and whatnot, so he had 17 different sons with 17 different women across the country and named them all Aureliano, then the surname of the, the mother. Aureliano Grande, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That was awesome. But <laughs> Sorry, I did like that little side story because like all these sons that eventually come together to Makanda to work for the banana factory or like some of them, but then they all essentially get killed mm-hmm. because they are the Colonel's sons. I felt like that was sad too. 17 but, yeah. brothers died. Yeah. yeah. And the last one survived for the longest time, but then came back to Makando to that house. But the people there were a couple generations removed from the Colonel. So they don't, they didn't remember him. They denied him entry, and then he was shot in the street. Mm. Yeah. So I like that part, too. Yeah. That was very mytho- mytho- mythological. Mythological. Mm. Yeah. But Arleano finally... Didn't <laughs> back to this. Arleano uh, decodes the manuscripts from Melchiades to learn that they are predictions of the future. And then this is what happens. Where do we want to start? Makondo was already a fearful whirlwind of dust and rubble being spun about by the wrath of a biblical hurricane when Aureliano skipped eleven pages so as not to lose time with facts he knew only too well, and he began to decipher the instant that he was living, deciphering it as he lived it, prophesizing himself in the act of deciphering the last page of the parchments as if he were looking into a speaking mirror. Then he skipped ahead to anticipate the predictions and ascertain the date and circumstances of his death. 
Before reaching the final line, however, he had already understood that he would never leave that room, for it was foreseen that the city of mirrors, or mirages, would be wiped out by the wind and exiled from the memory of men at that precise moment when Aureliano Babylonia would finish deciphering the parchments, and that everything written on them was unrepeatable since time immemorable and forevermore, because races condemned to 100 years of solitude did not have a second opportunity on earth. So That's what do you good. think that means? I don't want to assume I know what he's trying to say there. <laughs> You've been with this whole point of this podcast, right? You go first. Well, I think that is the... I think you could look at it like that is the foreboding uh, warning of humankind's end. Are we doomed to repeat our same mistakes over and over until we are no more? Or can we get our shit together and, and like, help our common find the human common humanity within us all to help you know not have wars and and bickering and fighting over little petty stuff but like come together and actually you know help each other out and be one as as one society so, so not to get is, too utopian well right? this is the point of the podcast where brian finishes his drink and then he starts to get emotional about <laughs> <laughs> you know guys <laughs> no i like it you have a very yeah it's a yeah. it's a very Hopey, changey, you know, touchy feely, future, you know, aspect uh, view of it. But like, I mean, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, like we talked about earlier, like the cycle of violence throughout mm-hmm. history, and especially in this part of the world with like these countries. Um, right. I think it is a that's a good takeaway. Right, is that we don't have to keep living like this. Those who don't learn from history are doomed oh, to repeat it. Right? Did you make that up? <laughs> totally a one hundred percent Brian original. Guaranteed. <laughs> All right. So rating time. Yeah. You want me to go first? You always want me to go first. I can go first. No. All well, because right. you copy my rating if I go first. All right. I'll you should go, write I'll, it down. I'll go. You want to write it down? Are you for real? Yeah. How about you write it down and I'll just say it. Okay. Did you see? No. Okay. Yeah. I'm giving it a three. Okay. Me too. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I. This is when I'm torn. You know. I like my rule of no half stars. I do. <laughs> but like, I just can't give it a four. So I gotta give it a three. What What stopped what's, you? What stopped me? Um, the second half of the book. You just lost just interest. Just getting bogged down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know some books you can like and appreciate and still find difficult to read. But this one, it... It was enjoyable. I think maybe because I liked the first half so much better that the second half disappointed me, and so that's why I bumped it down to three. But maybe. but talking about it more like maybe might convince me to I don't know. But no, I think I need to have a tougher scale. I, I don't know three is kind of like in the middle, but I mean it's like I, a classic work of literature. It is, and you can understand why he's such a good writer. I think it's totally worth reading. Yeah. I think yes. It is, because um, it's like on a, on like lists of like you said, classic piece of literature. So just know what you're getting into. Yes. Know that it's a lot of people to remember, a lot of characters. Right. Kind of long. Right. Kind of long. Yes. Agreed. But, uh, so. But yeah, worth reading. All right. Cool. So what are we reading next time, Tim? Breakfast of Champions by Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. You haven't I, read that, right? I have not. Okay. It will be my fourth Vonnegut book. 
what else? You read Slaughterhouse Five, mm-hmm. uh, Cat's Cradle, mm-hmm. uh, Pillar Piano. Yeah, you got it. Dang, nice, nice man. Because I was trying to pick a Vonnegut book. I think I, I know, I know. You you wanted to pick Player Piano first. Well, we can go in this yeah. more when we talk about. Do you have a book. favorite Vonnegut book? Player Piano. Oh, really? Yeah. That'd be interesting now because it's about like technology and replacing mm-hmm. people. But yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Next we can podcast. talk more about Vonnegut later. But yeah, so. Until next time. Go to our website. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Go to our website, twoguysonebook.com, and comment, you know, whatever you want, really. We're, well, I One should, person no. left a comment. I know, and you replied, but he never replied back, <laughs> yeah, did he? which was super rude. No, oh, I'm just kidding. Come on. Like, it's not like he gets notifications, like, we replied <laughs> to his comment. I think you get an email if you, I don't know. Uh, you get an email because you're the website yeah. administrator. But no, I mean, seriously, you know, if you like the podcast, if you have tips on what we can do better, or if you just want to comment about the books we're reading, feel free to. There's another, and I can edit this part out, but there's another podcast, you know, where it's like two guys discussing a book that I found out after we started this, and I listened to a couple of our episodes. I think... Isn't it just one guy explaining the book to the other guy? Um, You know, I think it started out that way, mm. but the recent one I listened to was both of them discussing it. Um, God damn. They, I know. Well, it's, it's okay to have a similar... They, yeah. Like, they pick a lot of books that I don't think we'd ever pick, like the Redwall series. like Redwall? Yeah, like the mouse with swords that you read as a kid. or like Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I never knew it was called Redwall. Well, that's the series name. I okay. mean, um, I, yeah, I did not read but, it, but I know, I know of it. It was but, made into like a cartoon, wasn't it? Right, yeah. It was yeah. like Badgers with... Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, the point is, like, they do a good job of, like, bringing in background stuff about, like, the author... And some, so we could probably do a little more research in that regard. Do you want to um, though? I mean, like, do I want to do extra work? I don't know. It's <laughs> it's good to have our standalone opinions at the same time. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think it is good to have our standalone opinions, but I think we did we both did research on this one. We yeah. just looked up magical realism and how Marquez's personal life and then that banana massacre really happened right. and all that stuff. So that's true. Yeah, did a you, little bit is good. Did you watch the Crash Course literature yeah. on this? John Green. <laughs> Video. Yeah. That's, there's like animations and stuff. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. I like I like I love those crash course. Look guys. up crash course. Yeah. John Green. Yep. They do a good job. That's right, the John Green. Yeah. The? Yeah. Of the of the Fault in the Stars and Is he that biggest celebrity that you can Oh well, the teenagers, the the <laughs> Gen Gen Z people he is. What comes after Gen Z? The end of the world. <laughs> like <laughs> Like, you're running out of letters, but you yeah. just assume the world's going to end. It is. You know, people don't learn you start over history. at double A. <laughs> double A, then. Yeah. Jose Alcadio. Buen dia. <laughs> I think you got to keep this part. This is the best part. <laughs> anyway. Just for a Until next time, ladies and gentlemen. Keep breeding. Keep breeding. Happy kids. Breeding. Yeah. <laughs>